Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy Collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Welcome to Go Ask Alley, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Hi, I'm Allie Wentworth, and you're listening to Go Ask Alley, where this season I'm asking, how do you grow a healthy relationship with yourself, with a friend, maybe your enemy? I don't know. In this episode, we're talking about money. Whether you check your balance every morning or you have no idea where the money's coming from and where it's going, we all have some sort of relationship to money. And you know, I was thinking before this podcast about my relationship to money. I had a very bizarre relationship with money when I was young because in my own personal circumstances in my family, you know, one minute it was like, oh, we're all going to go skiing. And the next minute it was, oh my God, we have no money. We have money. We don't have money. We have money. We don't have money. So I developed this kind of crazy relationship with money. I was the girl in college that would write bounce checks, didn't understand how to balance my allowance. I always would hope that somehow I'd figure it out later on, which is incredibly irresponsible. And as I got older, I learned more, but I still don't think I'm educated enough about money. You know, God forbid something happened to my husband. I'm not sure I would understand all the retirement forms, pension plans. I think historically, you know, women have always looked to the man to take care of them. And that is not the world we live in anymore. And I realized that, you know, when you're young, you can sort of throw your hands up in the air and say, oh, I don't really understand about money. But when you get to be a certain age, you start to realize you need to save for your later years. So there is a responsibility and there is a maturity that comes with money. But the first step is learning about it. Here to make sense of all the sense is money coach and go-to financial thought leader in this personal finance field, Jamila Souffron. Jamila is the founder of journeytolaunch.com and the host of Journey to Launch podcast, where she chronicles her path to financial independence while helping others do the same. Jamila is the resident financial expert on a weekly segment on News 12, which is the most watched local TV news station in New York City, and has been featured in other notable media outlets such as New York Times, Essence, Refinery29, Money Magazine, CNBC, CBS, Business Insider, and more. Here's what's so incredible. Jamila and her husband saved, get this, $169,000 in just two years and are living debt-free besides their mortgage. 
Jamila, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today because I have so many questions. But first, can you share what inspired you to begin your journey to financial freedom? I mean, it's something we all want in theory, but getting started and putting it into practice is a completely different story. Yeah. So I... um... How did Jamila end up being Jamila? Right. Of Journey to Launch. So really, I was, you know, commuting from New York, Brooklyn to New Jersey every day corporate job. I was in corporate America working at the same company that I interned with from 19, but they were in New Jersey. So it was a commute, but I was okay. I didn't have kids. I was like young. And then I got pregnant with my first son. And I remember early thirties now I'm in this car. My commute is like an hour and a half one way. Oh my God. No lie. Like, and you know, that's like average. Sometimes it will take less, sometimes more, but on this day, pregnant first child, it took three hours to get home. So I said to myself that day, because I've always had this desire to be free and I wanted to be a millionaire. I had all these dreams as like a young kid. And then I got into the workforce and I was like, wait, how am I actually (laughs) going to do this? I guess I just need to work like everyone else. Jamila, get over Mm -hmm. yourself. So I eventually then just out of frustration and fear and just typed in like, how do I quit my job? How do I retire early? All these like catchphrases people do when they're not necessarily happy. Came across this concept called financial independence, retire early. I'm like, what is this thing? Because I'm thinking you have to like, be very famous or born into money to become a millionaire, like create the next Google. And here I am now listening to podcasts, reading blogs about people who are saving, you know, their money and investing over time, you know, over 10, 15 years and are able to quit their jobs. And I was like, wait a second, where was this all my life? And so I essentially started Journey to Launch, which was just a blog to chronicle how I was going to reach financial independence. I had this goal to quit my job. And then it eventually turned into, oh, Jamila, how are you doing this? You're saving all this money. Teach us. And so I was like, oh, I might let me start a podcast. So I started podcast journey to launch and started to dive deeper into not only my journey, but helping other people who wanted to do what I was doing mm-hmm. and quit my job a few years later because things were taking off a bit. And, you know, here I am now with you. And so how financially savvy were you when you had that aha moment in the car when you're pregnant? Did you already know a lot about money? I was not, definitely did not know as much as I knew now. If I knew as much as I do now, it started so much Mm -hmm. earlier. But I will say I did a lot of things right. You know, I come from, I'm an immigrant. I was born in Jamaica, the island, not the borough. Nothing's wrong with the borough, by the way. (laughs) But the island and mom was a single mom. So she knew about saving and surviving as Mm -hmm. a young single mom in the country she didn't grow up in and had to make it work. She passed that down to me. So I did have that saving ability. Like I remember I started working at 14 and saved my money for the most part. I was able to buy my first condo at 22 in Dumbo. Wow. Wow. Before it was Dumbo. So it's on the outside. Yes. Amazing thing to do at such a young age, but I didn't know about investing. I didn't know about making your money grow because it was more about saving and then like kind of the American dream, which was like buying a property and then, you know, getting married, having kids. But this outside world of, wait, I don't have to work in corporate America. Like that always was something I was interested in. And it wasn't until I found this concept that you can, you know, even if the re- a regular job, you can save and invest and be smart with your money. You might not be able to quit tomorrow, but if you just do some of the right things in a few years, you'll be in a better position. So yeah, to answer your question, I wasn't as savvy as I am now, but I tell everyone you're on a financial journey, whether you know it or not. And so if you're listening to my voice right now, like now is the perfect time to to consciously be aware that you're on it and see what you can do to help yourself get in a better position. And are you in a better position now? Oh, yeah. So, you know, this concept (laughs) of financial independence, like it's very lofty. Okay, like it's you're talking about having enough money saved and invested to not work actively again. Like you can literally live off your portfolio. Right. Goals. 
I am not there. I am like at this level. I have like journey or stages that I call it to like reaching mm-hmm. the promised land of financial independence. I'm at a level where I have work flexibility. I was able to save up enough money to quit my job, even though Journey to Launch wasn't making as much at all as what my job was making. And then also pay off the debt we needed to pay off. And then like launch into entrepreneurship with three kids living in New York City and be okay. And the freedom and flexibility that I have, like right before we recorded this, I went to go pick up my kids, right? right? And it's not that I have all the money in the world, but I have enough where we're comfortable. And that is, to me, something that most people can find. And it's essential to find it as a woman, mm-hmm. especially as a mom, mm-hmm. and as a person of color, and as a Black woman. You bet on yourself. Oh, yeah. And people don't like to bet on themselves. Like, they're too afraid. So I, I love a woman that bets on herself. I really do. <laughs> so thank you. Jamila, I'm going to confess right, right up top that I'm terrible with money. I tendency to be afraid of it, to not want to deal with it. When I was younger, I would get into financial trouble and pray that my parents would help me out. Many, many times I would not balance my checkbook. And now I'm in my marriage. I let my husband, George, deal with most of it, which I'm sure these are all terrible things. But we'll get through this. It's not about me. But I do want to start with talking about women and their relationship with money because now that I'm a middle-aged woman, I have noticed, particularly I have friends who are incredibly on top of their finances, and I have friends who don't know what the hell they're doing. And I have friends who have gotten divorced and been left with zero money. So my first question is, why do women have so many issues with money? I think what happens, you know, we all have money scripts, money stories that are passed down to us, that are told to us. And it depends on our culture, where we were raised, who we were raised by and their own financial trauma and what they passed down to us. So for a long time, women really were not accepted. We're not invited into the financial conversations. I believe it's changing a lot more, but I also have a distorted view because I'm in the personal finance space. So I tend to then see a lot of people talking about money. Mm -hmm. But for the average person, I do think there's still a misconception about what it takes to be good with money, right? Like you think you have to be good at math and you have all these other things that are helpful, but that really don't allow you to succeed. And a lot of things that women innately have show that we actually are better than handling money than men in terms of we're more prudent. We take our time because we're investing for the long term and we're thinking about more things other than just ourselves, like our family, that we actually are good with money, like inherently. And it doesn't need to do anything with statistics or math or complications. So I think it's really just breaking down this barrier of what people used to tell us, you know, the the old white men, financial advisors who spoke in jargon or terms that we didn't understand to kind of keep us out is long gone. And we just need to continue to push that. So women and the women behind us can understand that this is for you too. You are here. You can be good with money. You are good with money. I mean, because historically women were not allowed to deal with money. And certainly when they got married, they had no financial freedom whatsoever. Marriage was part of a kind of economic pact just to get the money from her family. So I I can see why the roots of that are strong still. It is. I mean, if you think about the women who were at home also raising the children who were the responsibility, while they most likely never got paid for that work, was such a huge part to why their husbands were successful in their careers, right? And so while we have been sometimes blocked out of that conversation. You know, the history has been, there was at some point, I forgot the year where women still needed like 
the man's signature to get a credit card, like their husband's yeah. signature to get a credit card. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's crazy. But yeah, that stuff is rooted in us. And I think, though, that now is the time for us to take back control and to take back the power and educate ourselves to be better. But because women earn, what, 85% of what men earn, don't you think until we are equal in terms of equal pay, we will never be seen as equal in terms of how we deal with finances? Yeah, there's a lot of work on all fronts. So the earning side of things, the managing side of it and the earning side of it. But what's most impactful is earning money. So if we're not making as much, if we have more things that happen in our lives that make us take pauses at work that, Mm -hmm. you know, when we're stopping to have family, when we have to take off more time to do more of the at-home care for our loved ones and elderly, like that all factors into our careers and how much we earn. So I definitely believe that the income gap (laughs) between women And then if you even break it down further within the women's space, like women of color, black women, Mm -hmm. like all that is going to be important. We can't have like the conversation about money and managing it without having the conversation about being equal pay and earning as much and advocating for better salaries. Completely. Now, what do you tell women? Let's pretend I said to you right now, hey, surprise, Jamila, this is a TED Talk and there's a thousand people out in the audience. Give us the most important steps women need to know about their finances. So. The most important steps that women should know about their money is there is a practical and how to. There's the budgeting and there's understanding the income that's coming in and the expenses that are going out. That's important. We have to talk about that. But I think most importantly, it's the internal kind of shadow work that needs to be done first to help propel and maintain this journey that we're on with our money because it's not enough to like just do a budget, like, right? You have to have the confidence that you'll figure it out when things get a little like sticky or when you make a mistake, quote unquote. So I think a lot of the work is actually mental and emotional and that to start there is important. So to have the confidence and to understand it, confidence doesn't mean you won't mess up. Mm -hmm. Listen, I I talk about money all the time and I still am like, oh man, like (laughs) I need to go check that budget or I overspent on this thing. Like it still happens, it's normal. So really it's about internal work first about what are the money stories that we've been told? How do we sabotage our own selves with money? Start with that first. And then yes, let's move on to the practical. Let's create a budget because you really do need to understand what's coming in and what's going out in order to take control. And how much do you tell women and people, but women especially about saving for the future? Do you talk to them about retirement? Because I'm middle-aged, like I said, and I'm very concerned about my back nine. And I'm concerned about even now with aging parents that I'm dealing with, I go, okay, so damn, this is expensive. It's really expensive to be old in our country. So how do I protect myself so that my two teenage daughters don't just leave me on the side of a road with a note tape to me. You know what I mean? There's so much more than the just imminent stuff when it comes to finances. You have to think long term. And that is, I believe, like the balance that people just don't want to deal with because there's a now of the life. You want to live a good life now. You want to reap the benefits of your hard work and, you know, want to feel like you're working towards something but enjoying it now. And then there is that long term view about, okay, what about the you in 20 years, in 30 years or even 10 years, making sure that person is okay. And oftentimes, sometimes we sacrifice one for the other. Usually it is that older person that we're like, we'll just figure it out then, you know, Mm -hmm. bury our Mm -hmm. heads in the sand about it. So I am a full advocate of investing for the long term just to make sure that 
you're okay. With my brand and what I do, like I talk a lot about financial independence, retire early, which is the FIRE movement, save and invest over time and actually leave the traditional workforce early, which for some people are just like, are you kidding me? I'm not on track for standard retirement and you're telling me I can like exit early. But I like to put that in the minds of people as a, like a seed because there are some people that are doing it. And of course it takes like work and different just assets to be able to do that. But I like pushing people to understand that there is a way to save and invest long-term and set yourself up for a good future and good retirement and also push it a little bit. Like whatever you're doing now, if you think you're starting too late or you think it's like so late that you shouldn't even like look at it because what's the point is that you can start today and be in a better place 10 years from now just by starting. Right. And so I say, even if you're behind on retirement, you'd be surprised at what you can do once you're aware of what's possible for you. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? And meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Welcome back with more Go Ask Allie. I do want to talk about couples because most of my peeps are married, including myself. And I want to talk about finances in relationships because I think they can be incredibly eruptive. And I think people don't talk about finances enough in their relationship. Let's say you're dating somebody. How can you tell if you're economically compatible. Like, you know, when you're sexually compatible yeah. <laughs> and you know, in other areas where you're compatible, how do you know if you're economically compatible? Yeah. You know, 
this is something where you have to start the conversations and you don't just jump in the first date and say, what's your credit score? How much debt do you have? You know, <laughs> but I do believe that's over time. You ask them, what are your goals? What are you looking forward to doing over the next couple of years? I think starting with the big picture questions and then drilling it down to, oh, if the person says, oh, I'm my dream car, I want to buy it in a couple of years. And from what you know of their profession, you're like, hmm, that's interesting. Like, you you know, you're just trying to connect the dots on things. So I think a lot of things is open discussion. And also, if you are at that point where you can share openly about your finances with a potential partner, meaning, okay, I'm going to put it out on the line to be vulnerable here and the hopes that this person will also be vulnerable is helpful because you, we all have money stories and money baggage mm -hmm. and debt or something related to money in our lives. Like that is how we live. So I don't think it's out of touch to start the conversations early, but in a general way, because I will say that picking someone who is complimentary, you don't need to be the same with money. Some people mm -hmm. are more hands-on, some people are more hands-off, but at least they're amenable and willing to have conversations. That's important. But picking someone who is either on the same page, at least in the same book, maybe you're not on the same page, but you're reading the same book, at least on different chapters, fine, mm -hmm. is important. Because when you are able to combine your energy, your money, your goals together, it can speed up the journey to your money goals. So it's important. Right. You know, they say two thirds of marriages start out in debt. And I know that when I was dating my now husband, we came to our marriage. He had been working much longer than I had and was, you know, very good with money. I basically came to the marriage in debt, also with the dachshund that needed a $10,000 spinal surgery, which I think freaked him out a little bit. But um, I do see a lot of times in relationships where one person is really conservative, one is very kind of spendy and, and crazy, and it causes a lot of problems. But I've also seen relationships where, let's say in mine, my husband is more conservative, whereas every once in a while, you know, I don't go crazy, but I will say, you know, I think this is important. I think we can spend a little more on this trip as an educational thing for our kids, or, you know, we can get this sofa, but it's going to break in two seconds. I think we should spend a little more for, you know, that kind of constant thing. But what I'm saying is I'm agreeing with you that in the big picture, that is the same. The little minutiae, we kind of give and take, give and take. Yeah. I think the most important thing, even if you have different views on money and how you handle it, is the willingness to listen to your partner and to concede when, you know, it's necessary on the sofa or on that thing. Because in the same regard of having someone who is more conservative is really good. But sometimes that's not so good because some people actually have money and are so afraid of spending it and using it as a tool to live a life that they want. And if you have a partner who's not on that same page, it can cause resentment. So I fully believe that it's okay to have different like likes. Like my husband is not like, I, I know he would prefer a nicer car. And so the deal kind of that I made when I like quit my full-time job to do what I'm doing now, journey to launch full-time was like, thank you for supporting my dreams and goals, you know, and I understand that we have to cut back or be more conservative in certain areas to do that. But if I can, and when I can, he knows, like, I would love to get him like a nice car, like one of those like Christmas commercials with like a bow. <laughs> I think that'd be so fun. And like for him, like, I don't really care right now about that kind of stuff, but I know he likes it and cares about it. So I think mm -hmm. when you can show up for your partner in that way, and it's like a give and take, it's compromising in a good way about what each other likes and goals and all that. What have you seen, and I'm bringing this back a little bit to the women and money, I have noticed that women who are the breadwinners 
there is a fundamental issue in their relationship. I don't know if it's ego with the man. I don't know what it is. But my friends who are the breadwinners and the husbands aren't, I mean, they might be still doing a lot in terms of childcare and everything. They still bang heads all the time. And I hate to think it's this kind of misogynistic thing, but it is. It just is. You know, I agree. I think it's hard for women. And, and the thing about it is a lot of women do actually earn more than their spouses. I don't have a number, you know, <laughs> to back that up. But, right. you know, a lot of my friends earn more than their partner. And so I think this is something where understanding the type of partner you have is important. And sometimes like with this financial work, like comes like just general therapy, mm -hmm. because the foundational work or the fights that you have about money usually are deeper or something else. It's like maybe he or she feels a loss of control because they never had control. They saw their own parents go through something. Sometimes it is like a cultural or societal thing, but sometimes it's actually a personal experience that your partner may have that's feeding into why they're reacting that way. And so actually talking to a therapist or talking through the deeper issues, um, instead of like just getting mad at them for the reaction, just understanding where it's coming from, I think can be helpful. I think that's so interesting. I think people don't really connect money and therapy as much as they do other things like sex or fundamentally not getting along. But when you think about it, money is so attached to so many emotional things. I think about so many people who attach it to love. You know what I mean? So if my partner or my friend gives me these things, they love me because I'm being rewarded materialistically or with money. And I think it's true. I think everybody comes to the table with their own financial trauma or stories. And that's when it gets really difficult. I wish couples therapy, they had to have a financial advisor sit in with them. I think it'd be yeah. really helpful. And this is why I feel it's so with money, so many people avoid the topic. And like literally everyone has to deal, just like everyone has to go to the bathroom, like everyone has to deal with money. And typically like people don't talk about it. Yeah. It's like this quiet thing that everyone wants to avoid, but then everyone is wants to live this a life. And it doesn't matter what how you define that life, whether it's more luxurious or more low key, but you need money for it. And so I just think we should be talking more about money. Like it should be normalized in the way we approach it and in our in our hangups and our mistakes and in, in our insecurities around it, because so many people feel the same way. They do. I mean, I know that I don't really talk about money that much because I was taught it was rude and crass. You didn't talk about money, whether you had it or not. It was just you keep it to yourself. But I'm finding more and more that is the problem. And when I think about partners fighting about money, you know, it's control, it's debt, it's resentment over somebody spending too much on something. So let's say they go into therapy and they get that all worked out. When should either a couple or an individual, when should they seek a financial advisor? At what point do you go, yeah. I, I need help? And how do you pick somebody? I think the financial advisor conversation is important to at least understand and have. So I think I'm approaching from two different ways because I come from like a personal finance community mm -hmm. that's very DIY. Like they will try to figure it out first on their own. And some people like that challenge. It's not that many assets. It's not that complicated. So they feel like they can manage it themselves, which is fine. But I do feel like for some people, they may need a coach. So I think they're like different things. There's a financial advisor who can invest on your behalf that has a fiduciary responsibility and has taken the proper courses to advise you in a way that is helpful with your investments and your long-term strategy. 
sometimes those advisors also like our coaches or have may have the training also to help you emotionally with money, but most times not. And so you might need someone else, like a money coach or just follow programs or podcasts like that. Talk more <laughs> about it. But I think financial advisors to a certain point, if you're earning a certain amount of money and having it slip away from you, meaning like, you know, you're earning X amount, but then like at the end of the day, you have nothing to show for it or there's nothing invested that it's probably time to get help because you're not in the position to help yourself. So looking for an advisor who has their CFP or they have a fiduciary responsibility to make the best recommendations for you, not for them to earn the money on um, things is important. I always say asking or starting with your friends, because you may be surprised if your friends are working with someone who they find reputable, you know, you check, make sure that they have all their credentials. But some people are comfortable on their own and just investing like in index funds, which is just like on autopilot. But some people, depending on their lifestyle and their assets, need additional help, need professional help. So I think it just depends. I want to ask you about what you think about a prenup. You for or against whether whether there's money or not. I am for a prenup, but you know I kind of feel like um, a hypocrite because I don't have a prenup. <laughs> so while I'm for a prenup, I don't have one with my husband. So you know there's that. But I do believe that it is important to have the conversation with your partner about it because you want to be clear. While we don't ever want or think things should end or want to end that you just have insurance against that there's nothing icky that happens after. Like everyone knows what they came in with or what they're going to leave with in advance. So I would recommend Mm -hmm. it for the most part. But why why don't you have it? Do you think it's because you're not betting on your marriage? Like, is there an emotional reason you don't have a prenup? Yeah, I would say... Again, like, I don't want to sound like one of those like naive women that was like, oh, my husband will never do that. You know, like I, I'm 38. So I know I look much younger, but I'm 38, right? You do. You're a baby. (laughs) You're a baby on the screen. Right. But my husband and I have been together since we were 19. And like, we, we literally had nothing together. Like we were in college broke. And there are some things I've acquired on my own, but based on our history and like the way we are right now, like, you know, I have a pretty good sense and feeling about him. But again, I know sometimes that's like, yeah, unicorn, like sure you do. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm sure you do. (laughs) Yeah, sure you do. Right. Like I'm building this, like I'm trying to build this million dollar empire. And it's like, yeah, you think you know him, but not, you know, but really like, I feel (laughs) like I'm not opposed to revisiting the conversation if need be. Like, Mm -hmm. let's just say something big were to happen. And I would hate to be like that. Cause how icky would that be? Like, you're married, like if it was the other way around and the man was coming into something and he's like trying to renegotiate with the wife. But I do feel like based on our communication, I could go to him and say, we should maybe talk about this. And it would be at least a conversation. Yeah. But that is that is the stigma with prenups, right? People immediately go, oh, that just means you don't believe in our marriage or you don't love me or, you know, you're betting on us failing. That's what people think, right? Yeah. If I were like now, like meeting someone, with what I have, I would definitely get a prenup. But I don't know. It's something about being with someone since you had nothing that you're just like, listen. <laughs> yeah. But but would you advise people to have prenup, let's say that we're starting out with nothing? Or is it only for people yeah, with Yeah, no, I would wealth? actually say, yeah, you should still, even without anything. That's like saying people who don't have a lot of assets, should they get an estate plan? And it's just like, there is something to leave behind, right? Mm-hmm. Like, even if not, because you don't know what you'll acquire, or what you'll do within that time frame of being together. And whether that is because it's due to your own business and what you're working on. And sometimes it's to protect your partner, like where, what if, you know, one of you is not in the corporate space or staying at home more, 
you know, you want your partner to be protected in that case where they weren't able to go out and earn a salary as much as you did. And so oftentimes I think it's how you frame the conversation. And yeah, I think it's an interesting thing because so many people, when it comes to love and money and when it comes to like taking it to the next level, like having a document about it, it, it can get a little, a little dicey. Yeah. Triggering. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But then on the flip side, I've known women that said, oh, I'll let my partner deal with everything. And then they got divorced and suddenly she had zero, nothing. He took it, he embezzled it, he did whatever he did with it, and she has nothing. That to me is a cautionary tale. Oh, yeah. I think at least, you know, you should have access to the accounts. You should know how to log into them. You should know where they are. You should be just as aware at the tax planning meeting, at least if you're not in the everyday discussion, like you should have access to everything. I think that is like a tragic, those are the tragic scenarios, especially when like the woman was not able to work because she was raising children. Right. And because she was supporting like the amount of money that she should have been paid that allowed, you know, the spouse. And I don't mean to make it just a man and woman thing, but even if it was vice versa, it's not fair. Right. And so I think it's really important to have these conversations, take a deep look and talk to your partner. If you're feeling shut out, or, you know, not included, that you at least speak up for yourself and have a voice. It's important. You know, for me, I don't have that fear. You know, it's like my husband came home and said I was having an affair. I'd start laughing. But what I have a fear of is, God forbid, something happened to him because he's been the primary financial person in the family. So if he got hit by a bus, it's not like I wouldn't know where the money is. I wouldn't understand it. Mm. I'd say, okay, we have this investment to put away for our kids' college. We have this, we have that. You know, it would be incredibly confusing to me. And that's what scares me. And that's another reason I really wanted you on my podcast, because I have to get educated. Well, would you have that conversation with him? Does he work with an advisor? Does he have meetings with someone helping him with the money? Mm, he pretty much does it himself. But he, yes, there is somebody that we do talk to. But again, I always think I'll take care of this and he takes care of that. I'll make the chicken parmesan and he'll go talk to the advisor about, you know, our 401k. But, you know, because already you're saying like it scares you, it seems like it is something that I don't know if you brought it to his attention before or have said like, hey, and bring me in on this. Like, let's just have a meeting on where things are and what things are doing and, and, and sh tell him your fear. Like I wouldn't want and I doubt that he would want you to feel so lost and confused as something where God forbid to happen to him. So almost just like, you know, here's where I'm at, what I'm feeling. Can we just sit down? And it's a slow process. It doesn't have to happen in one day, right? Let's set a time. Let's make it fun. Get some wine, whatever you guys like to drink or not drink. Right. <laughs> and sit down and get in the bath, right? turn on Chardonnay. Let's go over our finances. Literally, like it doesn't, some people, I think what happens to people think like, okay, there's this big hill or big mountain and you're expected to like climb it in one day. And it's like, no, 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 we can take our time, you know. And hopefully nothing happens within that time, but let's start slow. So the first thing is just a conversation about how you're feeling about it. The second thing is like, let's just make a meeting. Maybe you sit down and show me where things are, like how you log into things. And maybe we create like a, a legacy binder, they call it, or some type of file that says where all the login accounts, where is everything? So that way I can log in on my own and see what's happening or at least know where to go if I needed to get the information. Oh, God. I love that. A legacy binder. I love that. Yeah. I really love that. I also like the idea of everything being in one place, too, because I feel like you end up having a file cabinet of like bits and pieces and this and that. And 
that also makes me completely overwhelmed by everything. So, and now let's talk about teaching our children about money. So, you know, we talked earlier about people understanding their finances, people talking about their finances, but now we have other generations coming up where we can change the conversation. As a mother, I go, how am I going to teach my kids about money to understand it, to be responsible with it? Does it start with allowances? I mean, what what's your advice? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, my kids are pretty young. They're six, four, and two, but oh I don't too. Yeah. They're at those ages. <laughs> it's like- Can't even believe you have time for a podcast. My God. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. I just, every day is just like, we're just figuring out as we go. I recently- started to do allowances with them. I put like save and spend, like they each have like a little envelope mm-hmm. and it's not much money because it's three of them. So they get like, you know, a dollar each, each week for each category. So $2 altogether. And I think it's important because for like me growing up, I physically touched money a lot more as a child. Now we live in the stage of invisible money. Everything is invisible. You click a button and it comes to you. It's dropped at the door. So can you imagine kids growing up seeing this, it's just like, what is money? What is a dollar? Like sometimes you don't even see that it's invisible. So I think getting kids back to understanding the real value of what a dollar can buy is important. You know, I also try to be aware of the language that I use because a lot of us have grown up. If you grew up without much, someone telling you there's not enough money, this kind of like scarcity mindset and for a reason, because there wasn't enough money to pay the bills about money. And so I try to avoid like the things like, well, we don't have the money or we're broke. I don't like saying that to them because I don't want them to grow up with a complex about money and hoarding or feeling like they don't have enough versus, okay, that's not a priority right now, right? Like, so they want ice cream every day from when I pick them up from school and I'm like, I'm not spending $4 because you know, the ice cream man is charging $4 for a cone now, right? I'm just (laughs) like, we're not doing that every day. So we could decide once a week and you can save up for it with your, you know, your spend money and we can do that. So just teach them. And give them the money to pay the guy so that they understand like what that transaction is. And so I think you can start as early as this age, the age, I think, you know, six and four mm-hmm. to start talking about money. And then for older kids, for sure, because so many of us like college was the first time we were on our own with money and got in a lot of trouble because of that. And so I think with teenagers, especially right. before they go off to college, that conversation around money like needs to happen. Also, it's what you said before about there's no paper. It's I get into arguments with my youngest daughter because she doesn't understand. You know, when she goes on Amazon, you just click a button. It's as if it's free. You know, you click this or you have Venmo or Apple Pay and there's no concept of what's behind it. And I'm concerned about it. I'm concerned about it for my kids, for your kids, for everyone's kids, that they have no concept of savings and even depositing. Like all the money comes out. They didn't know the money actually had to go back in. I mean, all the things we're talking about. So I feel like if you have older kids and you didn't get a chance to really teach them at a younger age, and let's like layer on personality. Some kids just, no matter what you do, like their personalities are just, they're just going to do what they want anyway. But I think it's never too late to say like, okay, here is actually a, like a hundred dollars or whatever is the budget you can give them for that week or month have this last you. So if you do want to buy something from Amazon, I'm taking that money from the hundred, like, so they can see like, this is not infinite, right? <laughs> this is not just infinite money. Yes. We want to live in abundance right. and money comes to us. Yes. But right now it's not, and this is a hundred dollars and this is what you have to spend. Can you do that? And kind of make it a challenge almost and have them see what that's like. Now a quick word from our sponsors. 
Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? And meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Welcome back to Go Ask Alley. Let's get back to the discussion. I, I want to talk a little bit about money triggers because I think that plays a part in, again, in relationships and how we deal with money, probably, like you said, with kids' personalities. You know, the panic, fear, tension, stress that goes around money. How do you, when you are talking to people about it, how do you Besides saying, you know, you should talk about it in therapy, but how do you reassure everybody? How do you kind of calm people down and say, okay, look, this is your money, dot, dot, dot. How do you fill that in? Yeah. You know, I don't think there's like one thing, right? Or like one solution that can help people feel secure. But what I will say is exposure and awareness is everything, meaning realizing and understanding that there are resources out there to learn. Have you found that people are, in terms of health and COVID-19, are people really nervous now? Do you think that people are very conservative when it comes to anything to do with their finances because the world has been so mercurial? Yes, of course. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, for some people, the pandemic has obliterated any savings they've had, like things that they thought were stable jobs were not. And in some instances, people have made more money during the pandemic or were able to save more money if they were lucky enough to be home. So I think there are different narratives and different stories that people are living. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I do believe that this whole experience, I believe, has allowed most people to reevaluate what they want, um, you know, the type of work-life balance they want what they do want to spend the rest of their lives doing. You know, life is so precious. We know that, but like seeing as many people um, lose their lives, 
this year or last year, really, and then continuing is just like a calling card that we need to figure out what we're doing in life and how can money be a tool that we can use now because life is not guaranteed and promised, but then also set ourselves up so that we're not, you know, on the streets. And so I think a lot of people are having struggles with how to balance that. And it's important to talk about it because a lot of people are feeling this way. Yeah. I mean, so many deaths and so many livelihood deaths. I mean, I have friends that have been completely wiped out in the restaurant industry and everything. And I just go, oh my God, I almost want to take my money and put it under my mattress. Yeah. I mean, I do. It it all makes me so nervous. That fleeting idea of life and that fleeting idea of like your whole livelihood could be taken away so quickly. How do you feel about philanthropy? How do you feel about giving a certain percentage of salary to helping other people, helping causes? So I think it's very important. I also think that, especially as women, we are expected to, you know, if you're naturally a giver, like, you know, innately, they say that's what women are, right? That's fine. Yeah. Like, some people like are just naturally, you know, they tie, like, that's what they want to do. But sometimes I feel like it's pushed upon us. Like we can't just go after the money and make sure that we are secure first. Mm -hmm. So I would advise and want everyone to give to the causes and the people that need it. Like, I think that's important. But don't sacrifice your own well-being first. Like at least make sure you're afloat first. Because if you're not afloat and you're already sinking and you're trying to like help someone else, then you both drown and sink. And so I do think it's important to give back, but make sure you are in a solid position to do so. And don't use the guilt that society kind of sometimes puts on us that we should be, you know, more giving and nurturing just because we're women. I think when we're in the position to give fully and without sacrificing our own well-being, then that is a powerful place. And so, yeah, I think it's important, but just make sure you're okay first. Okay. That's actually a great lesson because before I got married, I actually got into financial trouble because I was such a bleeding heart that I was like, oh my God, I'm going to write a check for this and for that. And I'll pay my friend's rent. And I, I, you know, to the point where I was not in a good place. Okay. I want to end with two questions. The first question is, what is the worst thing about money? The worst thing about money is this idea that only certain people should have it. And that it's scarce. And I believe it's it's out there. I think it's more abundant than we know, but I don't want to like think of it in terms of too woo-woo where it's like people can't relate to that. It's more of, it's not as... Unattainable? Yeah, it's not as unattainable as we'd like to think. And so I think more people should have more access to money. I think there should be some baseline income. There should be some just things that we have as humans on this planet in America like our healthcare and rights yep. for moms, like that should, like yep. it shouldn't be as hard 100%. and limited to people like essential workers, people who teachers, like that stuff. It should come freely to these people. I agree. We wouldn't be so polarized right now if that were the case. What's the best thing about money, Jamila? The best thing about money is that if you see it as a tool, then you realize that you can use it in a way that suits your lifestyle, that suits your wants and needs. It's not the end all and problem solver. I know it sounds it sounds so ugh when people say that who have money because it's like yeah sure give me your money you say money's not everything or you say money's not going to fix all my problems just give me like your money then right <laughs> so I get that and at a certain level we need money to pay our baseline expenses right but I really want people to do like the work that they think they'll have to do when they have the money some people say well when I get the money I'll be happy and figure out what I want to do with my life and I think there's a way to do it at the same time yeah. like do the internal work first because. And the money will not solve everything. It will solve a lot, but it doesn't solve everything. So do that 
work first internally. Right. The attachment to love, the attachment to all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Gosh, we covered a lot of ground. Yay. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm so happy. Yeah, I love it. This was fun. Jamila, thank you so much for being on Go Ask Allie. Thank you so much, Allie, for having me. You know, one of the things that really occurred to me during this podcast was the famous line from Jerry Maguire, a movie I was in with Tom Cruise, which is, show me the money. And I think what we have to do is just show the money. Let's take off all the layers of protection off of money. Money is not love. Money is not wealth. Money doesn't mean anything. Let's keep it strictly business. Money is money. Let's not be ashamed to talk about it. Let's make money grow for us. Let's make money flourish for us. And let's learn everything about it because knowledge is everything. And the first thing on my to-do list is a legacy notebook. I want to know where all our money is, where it's going, and where it's coming from. That's the first step in controlling your money. The second step is, wow, that sounded smart. I'm going to go buy myself something. Thank you for listening to Go Ask Alley. Join me next week for my enlightened conversation with world-renowned mystic, visionary, and yogi Sadhguru about spirituality and his new book entitled Karma, A Yogi's Guide to Crafting Your Destiny. You will be incredibly surprised as to what karma really means. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, and follow me in my undoctored posts on social media. I'm on Twitter at Allie E. Wentworth and on Instagram at The Real Allie Wentworth. Go Ask Allie is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd.